It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter in the basement studio on a Thursday afternoon. Less than 24 hours removed from one of the craziest games I've ever witnessed at the State Farm Center. And uh, yeah, where to begin? Was able to use my parents' tickets last night. They have great seats right behind one of the baskets, the basket that Illinois was shooting on the first half and Minnesota was shooting on the second half. And that was a high-level basketball game, at least on one end of the court. And to say that I... Hmm, where to begin? To say that I was surprised by the result, that's probably not true. I think about an eight-point win seemed about right for where Illinois was playing and also the fact that Minnesota was bound to bounce back after a really bad performance at Nebraska. But what I did not expect was literally a historic display of offensive firepower. Maybe with Illinois, we figured that you know the offense is rolling and maybe Minnesota was going to score more than Nebraska. We were pretty sure of that because Illinois' defense has been so bad and lo and behold, Nebraska's defense has been pretty good the last month. I think metrically, the number one defense according to Bart Torvik, since February 1st, if you can believe that, a Fred Hoiberg, Nebraska team. Well, ours is something like 269. (laughs) That's out of like 360-some teams, and it looked every bit of that last night. But you know what? I was going through this process of the 40 minutes of regulation trying to figure out, okay, am I okay with this? How do I feel about this? And I sort of settled on this mantra, which is what we're naming the podcast, Embrace the weirdness. Embrace the weirdness. Weirdness is maybe a term that doesn't quite live up to what we're watching. This is more than weird. This is elite offense that we're seeing from Illinois. And we got some crazy things that I'm about to read to give you that context as to just how historically good this offense has been this entire season and then even more recently in the last month. But weirdness in that I've never seen an Illini team that has had such a polarization between what they can do offensively and defensively. And Lord knows, in the Weber era, we saw plenty of teams that couldn't shoot a lick, but they could play pretty good defense. And I'm sure on Ken Palm, we would find some of those crazy separations between one and the other. But I've never seen a team that truly was elite on one side of the ball and just bad on the other. Let's start with maybe a bit of setting expectations. If you were thinking Illinois is going to have a good defense between now and the end of the year, a good defense, I would abandon that notion. It's it's not going to happen. They are not going to have a good defense. What we can hope for, though, is that they can be merely good enough. And the fortunate position that Illinois is in, and I know Mike Latula might have tweeted something to this effect last night, If you're going into March, you would rather have to tweak your defense than your offense. In other words, you can't really conjure up an offense in the span of a few weeks. But perhaps you can make just enough adjustments on defense to help offset the issues you've had in the last month or two. We've seen with Illinois, and I know Brad Underwood spoke to this last night, we've seen Illinois in recent history get bounced in March because they can't score. And we know how maddening that is. We saw it last year against Arkansas. We saw it against Houston two years ago. We saw it against Loyola. We saw it against Chattanooga in the game that you probably should have lost, but you won. Couldn't score. And these were teams that weren't without talent. Well, that's not going to be the problem for this team. A bad offensive night for them is 70 points. That's a bad offensive night for this Illinois team. And given the fact that the tournament is just 
high-level, fast-paced basketball where everyone's energy is just a little bit up, that's probably conducive for a lot of points from Illinois. So the question is not, can they field a good defense? They can't. That We are past that point. Can they put a defense out there that is good enough? And by good enough, all that means is making enough stops so your elite offense can carry you to victory. I think they can. Now, between now and the end of March, and Lord willing, maybe this team will find their way into some sort of game in April. Wouldn't that be something? We are at such a weird spot where I wouldn't be shocked by either result. I wouldn't be shocked by a first round getting bumped, and I wouldn't be shocked by making it to Phoenix and the Final Four. And that's why I'm just saying embrace the weirdness. It's it's almost March. It's February 29th, so it's basically an honorary day of March. And unlike last year when we knew they weren't going to do anything against Arkansas, and unlike two years ago when you kind of fizzled after you beat Iowa in the Big Ten championship for a Big Ten championship, then you stunk in the Big Ten tournament, and then you just looked like a team that had lost, lost steam, right? And it was somewhat understandable. This is a team that is going to go in pretty loose and just playing ball, for better or worse. And for worse, it's on the defensive side where they're way too loose. And for better, it's on offense where they score at will. And that's not really much of an exaggeration. So here's what we're going to talk about today. And after the sponsors I hit up here, we're going to hit up just how historic that performance was last night. And just the overall atmosphere and the vibe at the State Farm Center, which I was happy to get back to to sort of experience this firsthand. Because I hadn't been to a game, I don't think, since, oh boy, I'm trying to think, Rutgers? Maryland. No, the Rutgers game. So it had been a while since I'd been back at the stadium. And you could kind of sense this process amongst the fans of, okay, what is this team? And how do I feel about it? And as I sit here today on a Thursday afternoon, maybe it's because you did win last night and you didn't lose, which you could have easily lost. Maybe it's because they're so darn fun to watch on offense. And maybe it's just because March is weird and eventually don't the bounces have to go our way? As Harry Black would often say, he doesn't actually say this, you're due, right? I'm embracing the weirdness. I'm saying, what the hell? We're going into March with a really, really good offense. Let's see what happens. So, before we get too far into it, hit up the sponsors real quick. DP Doe, I'm on at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com, order a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone and get it delivered anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That is dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, they have a fantastic spring sale going on. They offer $1,000 off any Bradford white water heater, Renai tankless water heater, or Bosch mini split unit when you buy a Lennox home comfort system. No gimmicks, no hidden fees, just $1,000 in savings. When you call Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, did we mention? They offer 0% financing options for qualifying applicants. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. That's 217-841-4728. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And finally, Owen Builders, online at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke and his staff, excellent at what they do with home additions, patios, decks, 
We're getting to that time of year. It's almost March and it's unseasonably warm. You want to get a head start on your next project. You can check out a gallery of their excellent work online at owenbuildersllc.com. All right, YouTube uh, folks and those listening at home, got exciting news. We're going to get all the info out there on the socials tomorrow, but the 200 level is doing a live selection show special at Poor Brothers Craft Tap Room in downtown Champaign. Love the folks of Poor Brothers. Excited to get back there. We're going to be there on Sunday, March 17th at 5 o'clock as the brackets are unveiled. And hey, fingers crossed, if Illinois happens to be in the Big Ten Tournament Final, we'll, we'll get there earlier. We'll spend the whole day at Poor Brothers. And we'll do a second half podcast for that Tournament final right into Selection Sunday, but at a minimum, Selection Sunday special at Poor Brothers Craft Tap Room in downtown Champaign. That is Selection Sunday, March 17th at 5 o'clock. And we are partnering with Champagne Showers, who has a yearly bracket challenge with some cool prizes and things like that. So we will have plenty of blank brackets that you can fill out as the brackets are unveiled with us. Isaac and I will be discussing it as they unfold. And we will find out what Illinois' potential path would be to make a run in March. Speaking of that run in March, can they do it? Yes. Will they do it? That's always the question, right? Are they perhaps better equipped to do so than Illini teams since 2021? Well, yes. Are they, they are certainly more equipped than the last two teams. We know, and it doesn't bear repeating, but I'll just repeat it once. The Loyola game is the albatross. That is the thing that is really kind of cast really the only cloud on the Underwood era. Yeah, there's a little frustrations here and there, but undeniably, and I feel like this does bear repeating, Underwood has done a fantastic job. Like, full stop, right? And I want to be careful whenever I get critical because there are things to be critical about, including a defense that is still floundering. Yet, at the State Farm Center last night, I recognized I'm looking around and seeing a crowd that's really into it. I'm seeing a, a basketball program that is in most ways back. And yeah, it just so happens the thing that you're missing is a pretty big thing, the March run. That is validation in a lot of ways for, oh, we are back as a basketball program. But all that said, it's okay to remind ourselves, and especially me reminding people that think I'm you know negative Nancy or something. Brad Underwood's fantastic. Like, he's the guy. He is the guy and will be the guy as long as we can keep him. Tweaks need to be made in certain areas, but, I mean, God, what a fortuitous position to be in where we can look at the micro stuff and say, well, I wish that were better. I wish that were better. And meanwhile, we're 21-7. and seven. We're basically a lock for a four seed as long as we just win a few more games or a couple more games even. And you put yourselves in position to make a March run. And that's more than what most Big Ten programs can say. So just getting that out there. I want to get some context, though, as to just how crazy last night was. And from the minute I left the game and I got home and sitting with the dog, Kara's out of town, so I'm sitting with the dog and just kind of going through Twitter and seeing the reaction to the game as I was trying to process it myself. Okay, from Jared Burson. That's at Jared Burson on Twitter. Minnesota scored 1.48 points per possession at Illinois and lost. Entering tonight, the record posted over the last 15 seasons by teams scoring that many points per possession in Division I games, 310 and 1. 
let me read that again. Out of 311 games where a team had that high of a points per possession, Minnesota had 1.48 points per possession. That's phenomenal. Those teams are 310 and 1. 310 and 1. That's a 99.7% winning percentage. Jared Burson tweeted this to add even more context. He says, probably better to frame it this way. Illinois and Minnesota combined to average 1.54 points per possession tonight. Out of tens of thousands of Division I games played over the last 15 seasons, this game had the highest combined offensive efficiency of any of them. Any of them. 15 years of college basketball in that game had the highest offensive efficiency. If you were at the game last night or watching and thinking, this is different, it's because it was. It was something we'll never see again. From John Gassaway, Illinois with 1.6 points per possession in tonight's 105-97 win at home over Minnesota. Second best game of offense by the Illini in the Ken Palm era. It's also the number one game of offense in the Ken Palm era for the Gophers. 1.48, one entertaining evening. One thing John didn't mention was what was the highest points per possession uh, for Illinois in the Ken Palm era. I'd I'd be interested to see what that game is, and I don't know if any of you on the YouTube chat Happened to catch that because there's been a lot of stats been thrown around the last 24 hours from Opta stats. That's OPTA stats. There have been over 300,000 games across the NBA, WNBA and division one men and women in the last 25 seasons. In only one of those did a team score 95 plus points, shoot 70% or better from three and have five or fewer turnovers. That team was the Minnesota Gophers. And they still lost. So let me repeat that. 300,000 games across NBA, WNBA, Division I in the last 25 seasons. Men and women, high-level basketball. 300,000 games. First time a team ever scored 95-plus points, 70% or better from three, five or fewer turnovers. First time ever. And they lost. (laughs) I mean, insane. From Isaac Trotter. Best Big Ten offensive ratings in conference games during the Ken Palm era. Number one, 2024 Purdue. And he singles out like the three best offensive performers, Edie, Jones, and Smith for them. Two, the 2015 Wisconsin team. That was Kaminsky, Nigel Hayes, and Sam Decker. Pretty good. Number three, 2024 Illinois. Shannon, Damask, and Hawkins. Number four, 2005, Illinois, D. Darren and Luther. This is Big Ten offensive ratings and conference games during the Ken Palm era. If you're asking what's offensive ratings, it's just it's the points per possession, that thing, right? It is just pure efficiency. Per trip, you're getting this many points. And Illinois' offense is the third best Big Ten offense in the Ken Palm era. Better than 05. So what does that leave us with? Well, a lot of good news. Your offense is fantastic. Your offense is good enough to make a run or win a championship. You might correctly say, well, who have you really played? And, and that's true. And one thing that I will be interested to see as a whole, and we'll only probably have six teams with which to judge it, is how this style of Big Ten basketball will fare in March. It is more offensively oriented, so it's certainly more entertaining. The Big Ten that was more rock'em, sock'em, 
you know, slow things down, defensive-minded. That didn't do them any favors back when Illinois was a one seed and Ohio State was a two seed. That was not that was a terrible showing for the Big Ten back in 2021. So I would argue that this is a very different Big Ten. The thing that I can't say with any certainty right now is how is that going to impact their success in March? I think Purdue is going to make a run. I don't see many teams being able to match up well with them. So I would say they will be an easy Final Four pick for me regardless of their bracket. Okay, so Purdue, I'm putting them in. I don't know. Wisconsin, no. (laughs) We'll talk about Wisconsin before we go because that is a big game on Saturday. Northwestern could be a sneaky 8-9 team when you got a boo-booey playing at the level he is. Michigan State, if they make it, yeah, sure, they can get a win or two. They, their three best players, I think, are still pretty good at Michigan State. But as far as Illinois is concerned, and we're going to get to the defense, they can outscore anybody. They can. There's just the concern of on that off night where you were not shooting as well or you aren't as efficient offensively, what then? And... That is the concern. It is a completely different concern than what we've had the last few years with Illinois going into the tournament. Yeah, uh, the offense with Io and Kofi and Andre Corbello and Adam Miller, that was a pretty darn good offense, Trent Frazier. And both the offense and defense were top 20, according to Ken Palm, if not top 15. But this offense is on a different level. It is. So, you know, last night, I'm sitting there and talking to this guy that sat next to me, and we're both just kind of shaking our heads as this thing goes along. I I eventually went from frustrated at our inability to stop them to, oh, what the hell? This is what it is. Now, in fairness, that transition probably took place when we went up 12 late in the game, and it appeared that it was in hand. And what helped precipitate that? Guess what? A few stops on defense. And isn't that kind of the formula we're going to have going forward? We're going to be watching these games. And sure sure is, uh, what's a good term for that? Sure is rain? I don't know. That sounds a little too old-timey. Right on cue, I should say, anytime we get two or three stops in a row, I bet pretty good money that Illinois is going to go on a 5 nothing, 6 nothing run, right? Take Wisconsin on Saturday. It would make a lot of sense that what they're going to do is kind of go neck and neck, back and forth. Wisconsin's going to come out with a lot of juice because they need a win in the worst way to get some good mojo back. I think it's a great matchup for Illinois, and I don't really see Wisconsin being able to stop them. So the question will be, can Illinois just string together a few stops? And that's kind of what we're looking for now, almost NBA style, where people bemoan the lack of defense in the NBA. Well, you got 48 minutes and you got the best players in the world. Sometimes they got to pick their spots. I get the feeling that as we watch these games, we're going to see this team almost pick their spots defensively. Can it be frustrating? Yes. Could it ultimately be the Achilles heel that keeps them from making a run? Of course. And would that be frustrating? Oh boy. It would be. But we are watching an offense cook at a level that I've not seen from an Illini offense in so 405. I'm going to let him cook, cook away. And it's not predicated on the three-point shot. It's not. I mean, yeah, they made a pretty good clip of him yesterday themselves, but it's really more the fact that they can have the booty ball from Marcus Damask. They can have Terrence Shannon now not just transition get to the rim, but doing it again in the half-court set, very akin to what we saw in the Illinois-Missouri game back in December. And most importantly, perhaps, is Coleman Hawkins playing at this level. 
Now, defensively, he has left you wanting in one-on-one matchups. He has. It got frustrating last night. Same with the mask. Love Marcus. Can't defend very well. Not against quick guards. But what Coleman is doing offensively, it's two games since Penn State where he was god-awful. Probably the biggest reason he lost that game. Harmon wasn't that far behind. But really, the whole team wasn't there. Coleman's response to that, the fact that he followed up the Iowa response with another great game, I think does bode well. And it led me to this thought today when I was on my run, and I kind of pondered this after the Iowa game. Let's say the trade-off was this, okay? Understanding that Illinois is certainly an imperfect team and the defense is a glaring weakness. It is an Achilles heel. But even understanding that, what if you were to be told that you had to trade that Penn State choke job for a trip to the second weekend of the tournament? And yeah, that means it probably cost you a chance at a Big Ten title, which I don't think they would have been there anyway. I think there would have been another stumble, as we might see in the last three games. But let's say that's the deal, right? You had to choke against Penn State to have the ultimate wake-up call late in the year and remind these veteran players, this is it. And specifically remind Coleman, we got to have you. And we got to have you at a crazy good level if we're going to make anything of note in March. I would make that trade. Now, I don't know if that's a hypothetical that's realistic or even one we really need to ponder. But I could go back to 05, for example, and look at the regular season finale loss to Ohio State. And I could say, okay, if they don't lose that game, do they have the, the scars needed to respond the way they did against Arizona? Like, if they're undefeated going into that Arizona game and they're down 15, do you think they would have won? Now, this is total back-to-the-future butterfly effect stuff, right? I mean, does one really affect the other? We would never know. It's all hypothetical. But don't you think, and at least I do, and I did back then, I thought this right after the Illinois-Arizona game and that comeback. Man, am I glad we lost to Ohio State. Because I just don't know if that extra pressure, having been undefeated, let's say, and trailing by 15 against Arizona and facing elimination, perfect season on the line, I think it just made sense to me at the time, and it still kind of does for whatever reason, that you basically traded the perfect regular season record for the comeback against Arizona. And that is a trade you would make a thousand times over. For Illini fans that had a Big Ten title two years ago and a Big Ten tournament title three years ago, I think we'd happily make the trade. Choke job at Penn State. Here's your ticket to the second weekend. I would love to be able to, uh, let's say, in a month from now, it's basically four weeks from now, be discussing a second weekend pod and who we're going to play on Friday and who we might play on Sunday and look back at Penn State as something consequential. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But uh, it, it just struck me again on my run today that if that's what woke Coleman up and that's what helped this team last night, for example, and against Iowa, close the game late. Get the stops needed to win the game late. And even with a mistake last night, like Marcus Damask fouling on a three. Marcus, I love you, but come on, Jesus. <laughs> Marcus is so good, but when he makes a mistake, boy, do you notice it. Maybe it's because he doesn't make mistakes any other time. It just seems like the worst timing for most of them. Love him, but it's just kind of funny how that works out. So, yeah, it's, I'm in a weird place today where overall I think it's just, listen, this is what the team is. 
They are elite offensively. And isn't that fun? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And does it give them a chance to make a run? It does. We know what the flaw is, and let's talk about it. Defense. I thought Jeremy and Derek did a great job last night breaking that down, and they both spoke about how they just want to see something shaken up against Maryland. You saw a little bit of that in the second half. It helped you take a lead, which eventually you did not relinquish. Against Iowa late, you were probably just executing, and the second half was promising in some regards against Iowa. Last night was a complete disaster defensively. And yes, Minnesota made tough shots. They did. But even if you take those tough shots away, they still scored 75 shots that weren't all that, or 75 points that weren't all that tough for them. They were getting to the spots they wanted to. They were getting open threes, which that was an aberration for how Illinois' defense has played. It, it wasn't really threes that were burying them. But last night, it almost did. So if you were to ask me, what do you want to see defensively? Like, what, what would make you feel better? I'm really just recalibrating my expectations to this. Having timely stops. I think we got to just kind of shift our mode to bend that break. And what the coaching staff can do about that, I think is get a little more creative and a little more aggressive and, and changing a few things up, not zone. You know, I, I'm just texting with Isaac and Trevor last night and saying, what the hell, why not a zone? But there's clear reasons why you wouldn't just implement a zone four months into the season without having done it before. But whether that be just a little bit of added pressure or just kind of forcing the issue a bit, and if that means you get burned on the occasional layup because of it, fine. You're already getting burned on layups. You're getting burned basically playing a base defense. And the bend, not break thing can work if you're scoring enough points, whether that's football or basketball. It can work. But eventually, it just sustains too much pressure and it folds. So every now and then, like you send a blitz in football, you got to send a blitz in basketball, whatever the equivalent would be. And you have some athletes and you have the depth, more importantly, to bring some guys in in spots and just say, go run your ass off on defense. Disrupt that guy. Don't let that guy get open. And that's really all I think would need to be done in order for this offense to be coupled with a defense that's good enough. And that's the mantra for it. Good enough. Not good. Good enough. I mean, geez, if they just have what would be the equivalent of a, let's put it this way. Illinois points per possession the last month have been like 1.3. That's insane. That is insane efficiency offensively. One point per possession for a defense to give up. That's average, right? The one points per possession is just average right in the middle. Houston, best defense in the country. They're giving up like 0.8 points per possession. That is insanely good. You could give up 1.1 points per possession the way you're scoring right now, and probably be okay. The problem is, in late-game situations like Michigan State, Penn State, Nebraska at home, where it almost bit you, you were giving up way too much offensive efficiency when it counted the most. And when you contrast that with Iowa end of game, and last night end of game against Minnesota, you were able to just stem the tide a little bit, just enough to build that lead, and couple that with good offensive possessions when you already had that lead. I think that's the formula. And again, I don't expect and don't even think it'd be realistic for this team to just snap their fingers and have a good defense. But I do think that changing 
the rotation a bit or, or, or trying different things. Dane Danger, for example, last night, not just great offensively, but he was a presence on defense. He disrupted just enough shots to help you build that lead with about six, five, seven, six minutes to go in the game. Dane was huge defensively as well. You can play him more. Justin Harmon, I thought, in the second half, really good defensively. He was kind of getting up in Christie's grill. Terrence Shannon, pretty good against Hawkins, I thought. They're Hawkins. Coleman struggled. Maybe a bad matchup. I don't know. Just the one-on-one matchups weren't good for him. And Marcus, again, he can't. <laughs> Love the guy, but... We, and that's why you don't see Luke Goody playing much anymore. Though, to his credit, he played pretty hard against Iowa and had some good defensive possessions. But it's just... Is this so much to ask? I don't think it is. So much to ask for just a, a serviceable defense in crucial moments. This is an old enough team where maybe that can work. And I know that you're really playing with fire and you're going against what we traditionally see from successful March Madness teams, which is a good offense and a really good defense. That seems to be the template. It's not this team's template. But if you put enough pressure on the other team to score, then you're only asking your defense for a few timely stops. And also for the opposing team to not make three after three like Christie did last night, like Mitchell did. I mean, God dang, Mitchell's release. When you get, the seats I had were pretty close. And when you were in these seats, you recognize how freaking good these guys are. Minnesota's, they looked good. I don't know how good they actually are. They are not a tournament team at the moment. They would have to make a run in the Big Ten tournament, right? But boy, watching that last night, the size, the athleticism, the shot-making ability, I don't know. It's like watching, uh, they they would lose terribly to an NBA team. I know that. But boy, I I just think they've probably gotten better at the game of basketball. And I love the 0405 team. I think it'd be very interesting to see them against this team. It'd be a high-scoring game. I think the 0405 team would still probably win because they were just so efficient defensively and they would make enough stops. But this is a very different beast athletically. And, you know, there's not many teams that are going to look forward to matching up against your offense. It's always weird when, and I think fan bases tend to forget this, unless they have a lot of swag and a lot of confidence. But Illinois fans don't have that going into March Madness. And for obvious reasons. We don't have a lot of success in March. But I think it's okay to have a little bit of bluster about our offense. I think we just need to couple that with, okay, well, <laughs> we'll grant you that. Our offense is great. Let's just see if we can stop anybody. And guess who's ask, asking that same question? Three teams from the SEC that have a legit shot to make runs. Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky. Though Auburn's actually got metrically a pretty good defense. Let's stick with two of them. Alabama, whose defense is in the 90s like yours, but their offense is in the top five like yours. In fact, they have the number one offense, I believe. Kentucky, great offense. Metrically, bad defense. Now, could they make a run? Of course they could. So why can't we? And that's why Selection Sunday, when we're at Poor Brothers, I will be especially attuned, not that I haven't been, but especially attuned to the matchups that get released. And then figuring out, okay, like what what kind of team are we looking at here? And what is their style of play? And does it lend itself to us putting up 85 against them in a tournament game? So I don't know. Maybe it's just it's March is upon us. The weather is turning. It's been warm and it's getting warmer. And 
last night the win helped. Losing would have been an absolute disaster. And there were moments where I thought, I don't know if this is our night. To Minnesota's credit, they were up almost double digits at Purdue. This is like three weeks ago. They have shown the ability to compete against good teams. So I don't think Minnesota keeping it close is an issue. Them scoring 97 points, that's an issue. But you got their best shot. You did. And you won. And you won by eight. In a game the likes which we'll never see again. All right, before I get to today's listener mailbag, and first I'm going to hit up the YouTube feed. Got to wet my whistle a little bit here. And, yeah, I'll get to... We had a poll today about the last three games and what people hope to see from them. Uh, Where did that go? I don't know why it's so difficult to navigate X sometimes, but let me get to the YouTube feed and see what some of y'all are saying out there. And uh, thank you for joining me on a kind of random Thursday afternoon. Was going to do a second half pod last night, but got offered the tickets and said, what the heck? That'd be kind of fun to go. And it was fun. All right. As Alani Brickroll said, can they make stops when they need? That's really it, Alani Brickroll. And if they would have made a couple more stops in Michigan State, they would have won. If they would have made a stop or two more at Penn State, they would have won. You know, Jeremy pointed this out in his podcast with Brad Evans today. They won nine of their last 12 games. The three losses... Northwestern in overtime, heartbreaker. At Michigan, coulda, shoulda, woulda. At Penn State, choke job. I mean, you could have won 12 in a row. And yeah, we would have been talking about the defense. And certainly the defense, because you lost those games, is that much more glaring of a concern. It it cost you games. But you also aren't that far away from being like red hot. Three seed, right? Right now, because of those losses, you're locked in at a four seed, barring some crazy finish to the year. And that's okay. You can work with that. All right, this is from Thomas. Do you remember the sad days of 38-33 versus Penn State? I'll take a great offense over a great defense any day, win or lose. Thomas, I was there. My dad and I went. I was living on Chalmers, so it would have been fourth in Chalmers. And I walked and met him at the game, and we just sat there, and it's just unfolding, and you can't really believe what you're watching. And it wasn't even a game that I left mad. It was more just like, well, I saw history, I mean, the worst kind, but I saw something very special. Last night was fortunately the complete opposite of that. It was probably 38-33 with six minutes to go in the first half last night. But I do remember that, Thomas, and yeah, I test. Just the entertainment value is a lot higher when you're scoring points. All right, from David. Marcus had the really awful turnover, too. He knew it as soon as he threw the pass. And I think that, uh, David, you were talking about how Marcus just has this weird propensity for, like, when he makes mistakes, it's always glaring. And at a very crucial moment, it seems, the turnover was bad. He, he, right, he knew it. He knows it. He knew it when he fouled the guy in the three. And listen, he's so good offensively that he is by far a net positive. But... For a guy that's so smart basketball-wise, 90% of the time, if he just eliminates those mistakes, especially when it comes to a tournament game, you don't want that to cook you. And chances are there will be close games because you can't stop anything right now. So, Also from David, some three-quarter or half-court press just to take some time off the clock. If they have to guard for less time, maybe they'd be better. You know, a lot, a lot of the possessions yesterday, David, did seem like it would get down the last 10 seconds and then, ah, oh, man, the first 20 seconds you were defending great. <clears throat> but then Minnesota would 
put it up with five seconds on the shot clock, and you think, oh, God. There, there were a handful of those yesterday, and there might be something to that. I do think because of the depth you have, throw some wrinkles out there. Have DGL come out and play three minutes, just balls to the wall, press, press that guy. If he gets a foul, fine. You weren't fouling that much anyway, clearly, because you weren't defending, so therefore you aren't really fouling. But, yeah, I, I think just forcing the issue. The, I, Underwood did certain things last night that I love. The fact that Dane Danger was cooking and playing well, and it was a great matchup, and he kept Dane in. Brad can adjust on the fly. He can see in front of him, this is working, this is not working, and keep the thing that's working going. I just think there's certain things they could probably add in the mix defensively. So, well, they, I don't know. I'm not overly optimistic about that, but I guess we'll see. All right. Here was the question today. I'm going to read through these responses before we get out of here. And apologies for the voice. I yelled just enough at the game last night for to be feeling it. All right. Listener mailbag. For Thursday afternoon's episode of the 200 level, I asked fans on Twitter, how will Illini basketball fare in the final Big Ten stretch at Wisconsin, Purdue at home, at Iowa? Put all the responses on a poll. 3 and 0, 2-1, 1-2, 0-3. 5.1% of you of the 374 votes were very skeptical. They think 0-3. Yikes. That would suck. That would surprise me. 1 and 2. A distinct possibility, 31% of respondents said one and two. For two and one, 52% said, hey, two and one. And I tell you what, I think two and one can happen. I feel good about two and one. That would certainly keep on the four seed line. And then three and oh, 10%. Now it starts Saturday against Wisconsin, a game that I feel pretty good about just based on the matchup. The last few years have shown you have, you have athletically outmatched them. And Marcus going home to Wisconsin. Uh, I like this team overall on the road, despite how the Penn State game ended. And yeah, what the hell? Get get on the road, play in front of a crowd, get a Wisconsin crowd that if things start going badly, are fed up with Greg Gard's garbage. Also, keep in mind with Wisconsin, they gave up 1.2 points per, per possession to Indiana. Indiana! Can't make a three. They made a few against Wisconsin. Wisconsin is not defending right now. Maybe metrically they aren't as bad as you, but they don't defend. Chucky Hepburn can be a little pest with a stupid dot in his hair, the little blonde blob in his afro. But I don't know. I I think it's a good matchup. I think he just put Terrence on AJ Store. I mean, I, I think he can keep AJ Store at bay. Oh, can Damas keep Klesmit and Frey? <laughs> I just, I don't want the Klesmits of the world or the Connor Asijans to cook Illinois. And I actually think that the front court matchup with Wall and Crowell, that is more beneficial to Illinois than, let's say, a Pharrell Payne, who was a beast, and a Dawson Garcia. Those two guys are athletically very different than what we see from Wisconsin. So I, I like the matchup. I think Illinois should win. I think it'd be disappointing if they didn't the way Wisconsin's playing, the way you're playing offensively, go get the win. You should have no problem getting points against Wisconsin. So here are the responses, though. We had a few replies to this as well. Ethan says, I am the 8.1%. Ethan thinks Illinois will go 3-0. Here's why. Ethan says, Wisconsin is backsliding hard as they start playing actual competition, and we've had their number recently, 1-0. Purdue at home, I'm feeling this one in my jellies. It's going to be electric. Senior night, we've got more to lose. 
and our guys are going to want it more. 2-0. Iowa is really the only one I'm a little worried about, but I think the defense shows up and we beat Iowa by 15. Also, Wisconsin is going to show up in Mackey, and we're going to be playing for a share of the title. 3-0. Wow. Well, I did have a discussion on text with Trevor and uh, Isaac today, and Trevor had this thought, and I, I thought it, after Michigan State lost on Sunday to Ohio State, I thought, okay, does Tom Izzo have one more Tom Izzo game in him for Saturday night at Mackey Arena? I don't think so because I don't think Michigan State's nearly good enough to beat Purdue. But what the hell? I'll be watching with some interest. I agree with Ethan that you know, he seems to be indicating Wisconsin is the easiest of the three games. I think it is. I think it's easier than Iowa. There's something about that matchup that is going to be tricky. It's going to be another back-and-forth affair and probably Iowa playing for their tournament lives with a lot of, a lot of, uh, what would the word be for that? Why am I completely stumping on the word? Tenacity? I don't know. Not what I'm looking for. And then Purdue at home. I, I do agree with Ethan that I, I like our chances okay against Purdue at home. Purdue on the road, not quite the same beast they are at Mackey. And I don't know. I think that could, that's just going to be a great game. I'll be there. Excited to be there. And Big Ten title on the line or not, it's going to be electric. That's the kind of game that you, you live for. From Teddy, I feel like Iowa tries to go in the tourney every year with the mindset of, we'll just outscore everyone, and they get bounced early. Illinois seems to have that idea this year. Defensively, we're getting carved up, and everyone has their best game against us. So Teddy, I'm guessing, didn't vote for 3-0. But understandable, because that would take a lot of things to go right. From Jacob, we go 2-1, and one, beat Wisconsin and Purdue, and lose to an Iowa team that gets red hot. I just don't think Wisconsin has the firepower to stay with us, and Purdue is somewhat mortal on the road. I'm hoping the D shows up a little down the stretch. I tend to agree with Jacob. I, I can see us winning the next two and losing at Iowa. I could see us going 1-1 one and one in the next two and having a little bit more oomph to go win at Iowa. That's why, just to get it out there, I, I do think 2-1 and one down the stretch. Now, that would get you to... What is that? You're 21 and 7. That will get you to 23 and 8. And that's 14 and 6 in the Big Ten. And that will be good for the second seed in the Big Ten tournament. And away from Purdue's side of the bracket. From Bob, for some reason, I'm weirdly confident against both Wisconsin and Iowa. I don't think Wisconsin has the athletes to stop anything we do offensively, and their shot making doesn't scare me like the other teams. 2 and 1 will feel very good. 3 and 0 would be a dream, albeit unlikely, versus Purdue. From Sports Ninja, Lost to Wisconsin because it's the one game I know for sure I'll get to watch uninterrupted. Upset over Purdue and a close one at Iowa. Okay, From Banana Champagne. Hey, Banana. I think we lose to Purdue and either Iowa or Wisconsin by like two points. Some fluky thing will happen. We will beat Iowa or Wisconsin, but not both of them. From Jace, one and two. Only home game is against an offense even more efficient than you. And then you play Wisconsin and Iowa on the road. Wisconsin is fighting for their lives at this point, and Iowa has an outside shot at attorney with another quality win, and they play well at home. Hard to be optimistic. That's fair, Jason. That's why I do think it is a show-me three-game stretch for this team. If they are worth <clears throat> their salt, if they are a team that can make a run, I think they go 2-1 and one here. And do they need to? No, it may not have any direct bearing on what they do in the tournament. But I think... It would go a long way to assaging my fears that I do have. Two and one in this three-game stretch tells me you're still playing at a high clip despite a defense not playing well. <clears throat> From Steven, I don't understand how every team shoots a career percentage against us each game. We seem to be playing with effort, but it results in made threes almost every time. Lastly, does our propensity to score quickly allow for other teams to have more energy for their offense? Interesting. 
Interesting. And are we, Stephen, to that, are we saving our our energy for our offense? Hence, not, you think the effort's there defensively. I don't think it's an absence of effort, but whatever extra bit of umph you would need to be really good defense, they just aren't doing it. From Zach, we go 2-1 and one and our loss is at Iowa. Okay. From Chris, we'll let us see 3-0. and oh, I will be satisfied mostly with 2-1. and one. I'm very afraid of 1-2, and two, and I will have to avoid steep cliffs and sharp objects if it's, don't say it, 0-3. Oh From Dan, if we were winning 61-55, to 55, people would complain that we play in rock fights. BU knows we can't guard the post due to personnel constraints, so he wants to push pace and force teams to outscore us. If Minnesota sh- just shoots a terrific 50% from three, we win by 20. That's fair, Dan. Dan continues, getting out, out of being scouted to the hilt and forcing an unfamiliar team to prep for us in one day is a better proposition as a team that puts up 85 every night than needing to prepare for another team defensively because we can't break 70. Not remotely worried. Oh, and Dan had one right before that. Sorry, these were three from Dan. People are worried that our defense will lock us out of the tournament, but look at our offense in the last three tournament losses. 58-53, 63 points scored. Good point, Dan. Pushing the pace makes Illinois hard to prepare for, and our multiple scoring options make us hard to stop. So I want to appreciate the responses we got with that. So as we end today's podcast, here's what I think. 2-1, and one, yes. I do think 2-1. and one. I think Wisconsin, I'd feel better about the 2-1 and one if it starts on Saturday. I think if you lose to Purdue, you go on the road and beat Iowa. I like the spacing between Purdue and Iowa. I think if you beat Purdue, there's a good chance to get upset at Iowa. I know that's a weird pendulum kind of thing, but with basketball, it's often not who you play, but when you play them. No matter what, you're going to get Iowa's best shot. I just think for this Illinois team, they have not lost two straight games all year. And after a loss at home to Purdue, I'd like to think that they'd get up enough for that Iowa game. And I do think with another shot against Iowa, yeah, Iowa will probably shoot the three better at home. But I, I would just like to think that our athleticism can eventually take its toll on them, just like it did here. But two and one, right? Let's say that happens. Again, you get to 23 and eight, 14 and six in the Big Ten. Essentially lock a four seed in the tournament. Go to the Big Ten tournament. What the hell? I'll take a banner there. I love the Big Ten tournament. And you'd be on the right side of the bracket, not having to face Purdue potentially until Sunday. You got a great offense. You got a bad defense. Can the great offense overcome your bad defense? That'll be the question going forward. It's certainly possible it can. It's a fun team to watch. It can be a maddening team at certain times, but only maddening if you don't accept them for what they are. And I'm in the acceptance mode, and here's what I accept. They got a top five offense in the country, the number one offense since February 1st, according to Bart Torvik, a historically good Illinois offense. And let's roll the dice and see what happens. What the hell? I mean, if you're a gambling man, this is your kind of team. <laughs> roll them out there, see what happens. And you aren't going to be bored. You're going to be entertained. You might pull some hair out. You might get a few gray hairs while watching it. But you will not be bored to tears like previous tournament games like Chattanooga, Houston, Arkansas, Loyola. I don't think it's going to go like that. So that is the good news. The question is, would it be enough to make a run in the tournament? And boy, oh boy, I hope so. Wouldn't that be awesome? So quick reminder as we sign off, Selection Sunday special, Poor Brothers, Craft Taproom, and Champagne. That's on Selection Sunday, March 17th at 5 p.m. Me and Isaac will be out there. And if Illinois is in the Big Ten Tournament Final, we'll be there before to do the second half. So come out and do a watch party with us. We'd love to make a full day of it at Poor Brothers. 
Got to thank DP Doe. I'm on at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he could be your guy as well <clears throat> at brianismyguy.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. That's 217-841-4728. And finally, Owen Builders, LLC. I'm on at owenbuildersllc.com. Check out a gallery of their excellent work online at owenbuildersllc.com. Champagne Showers, our partners with the podcast network, and also will be at Poor Brothers on Selection Sunday hosting their bracket challenge, which you can enter right then and there. Excited for that. It is March. Well, not quite as I sign off here, but close enough on February 29th. So have a great weekend. Here's the plan. Saturday, going to just watch the game. If it's an exciting win, maybe a post game, but certainly by Sunday, we'll do another podcast to react to it and preview the Purdue matchup on Tuesday. So take care, everybody. We will talk soon. Beat the Badgers. My hatred for them will come rushing back the minute I see Greg Gard and Chucky Hepburn and God, they're just so freaking boring. And I, I'm so glad we beat them the last few years. Can we keep it going? It'd be the fourth straight win at Kohl Center, something no team has ever done. All right, let's do it then. Let's set some more history. You're already setting it offensively. Let's beat the Badgers on Saturday, and we'll talk either then or on Sunday. It is the 200 level.